leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards in stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Despite the growing volume of electronic health records, they have so far left the recruitment of clinical trial patients, clinical trial designs, and site selection largely unchanged. The result is that drug companies are often designing clinical trials with gaps in information about the patient population they're serving, the medical issues these patients face, and where they can find them. This adds to the high cost and long timelines required to move an experimental therapy through clinical development. Trinetics is trying to address this problem through its health research platform that allows drug developers to analyze large amounts of patient data from healthcare organizations within its network. We spoke to Gotti Lachman, CEO of Trinetics, about its platform, how it works, and why he believes this could lead to more efficient drug development. Gotti, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you. Much attention has been paid to the high cost and long times it takes to develop drugs. Part of the problem is the challenge that companies face in enrolling patients in clinical trials. How big of a problem is that for the industry, and what role does it play in the time and cost of developing a therapeutic today? The market for uh, developing new therapies and and finding uh, new ways to help patients and, and save lives, um, very big, um, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars and, and trillions of dollars, and very competitive. And the therapies that are being designed, um, I say largely, are becoming more and more targeted, more and more specific. Um, you see a very long trend now of... Um, less blockbuster drugs that uh, can help vast uh, uh, amounts of patients or great or large cohorts. And you see therapies that are being more and more targeted, more and more precise to an ever-shrinking pool of patients. Um, and it's true in oncology and it's true in all other therapeutic areas. And because of that, uh, because of those, that level of sophistication, if you will, because the targets um, are harder to find and are more scarce, everything takes uh, a longer time, everything becomes more important. Every ingredient, every inclusion-exclusion criteria at the clinical protocol now has a much larger impact because if you need to find um, 
an ever-shrinking number of patients, then the wrong criteria in a protocol can be the difference between success and failure. So things get more targeted, the science becoming more and more exact, and the patients are still the same patients. It's not that uh, there's uh, more and more people out there, so it's becoming harder to find them. And it's also getting more competitive because those smaller groups of patients are now being targeted uh, by more organizations. And so there is a big race, if you will, to be the first, maybe to be the second, and that's it. Um, everyone else can pack their bags and go home, and all those monies that were invested in that development are going to waste. So increasing competition um, and, and things are just getting harder and harder. Well, when you think of the different players, biopharmaceutical companies, CROs, and healthcare companies, they, they all face somewhat different obstacles with regards to clinical trials. What are the problems they face? You know, Maybe you can walk me through each of those constituents, as it were. It's an ecosystem, and uh, there's different roles to be played and different players that pick up those, uh, those roles, if you will. Um, it starts with... And identifying a need uh, for new therapy, uh, identifying, and and in this space, it's always, um, you know, those companies in that space are saving lives, trying to save lives, trying to find therapies. Uh, so there's always a good feel uh, part of that industry, but it's also driven by number. It's an economical uh, world. It's, it's capitalism. Um, those numbers need to make sense. You need to. Place your bets wisely and hope that at the end of the day, your portfolio um, yields a positive return. So in that ecosystem, there's a lot of science and there's a lot of uh, uh, discovering, there's a lot of ideas that are being picked up by the larger pharma companies or by the smaller biotech companies or by companies in the middle or by all kinds of intermediaries. and make themselves into a pipeline uh, where those ideas mature through those organizations that nurture them, if you will, to becoming candidates uh, for clinical trials. And then comes a phase that is critical to the success um, of each one of those therapies, and that's the designing of the protocol or the understanding and the very fine slicing of that cohort of patients that's about to be investigated, that's about to, if everything goes well, receive a new hope for them. And this is where we play a huge role. In the protocol design phase, um, it's basically a clinical algorithm that includes inclusion and exclusion criteria uh, to say we are looking for a cohort of patients that very precisely presents the following Issues. These are the. This is the phenotype of that cohort, if you will, of that patient we're going after. They must have those clinical ingredients from very basic things such as demographics, age, and gender, all the way to more complex criteria such as um, medications they're taking, um, diagnosis, procedures, lab results. Um, and getting even more precise with the genomic phenotypes or the, the, the gene mutations that that patient cohort presents, if you will, and other criteria about them. So 
that is a critical phase because in that phase of designing the protocol, there are clinical ingredients, if you will, in that protocol that are must-have because that's all about the, the finding the population we want to target. But oftentimes, the designers of that protocol are putting in uh, uh, ingredients, if you will, making this algorithm more complicated, not for the right reasons, just because they may have copied it from another protocol. Or they may think they also need to include those criteria. And what we do at Trinetics, we are validating. We are basically serving tens of millions of aggregated, de-identified data um, from real-world settings, from real-world evidence settings, to put in front of the designer of that protocol the realities of that cohort and to make them understand in a very, very uh, precise way the implications of their decisions. So, for example, if you chose the age of 67 as opposed to the age of 65, what does it do to your cohort? Did it shrink it by 5% or by 15%? and much more um, granular items. If, if the lab measures of your cohort is 3.1 versus 3%, uh, what did you do to your population? Do you care about that? So we are enabling a real-time design of that clinical algorithm that is a, a protocol for a clinical trial and putting in front of the, the designer of that protocol all the facts, all the realities about that cohort, and we're doing it in real time. Our building of protocol on our system, things come back in one second or two seconds. So it's real time. You can build a protocol in an iterative way. And then when you're done, you know that this is the simplest, most efficient protocol to still get the cohort you're looking for. And you have optimized it so that the, the population out there that is relevant for that uh, protocol, for that clinical trial, is maximized and it will make it easier to recruit and it will make your drug reach the market faster. Um, there's a lot of statistics about protocol amendments, which is to say protocols that have been designed, approved, cast in stone, uh, the teams go out there, operations, trying to find those patients, and they fail. And so they go back and they redesign the protocol. A protocol amendment, uh, just in terms of the cost of that, is half a million dollars. But that's not the true cost. The true cost of a protocol amendment is an average delay of uh, three months on average. And the economical impact of a three-month delay from one amendment that could be avoided is anywhere from tens of millions of dollars in lost revenues to... Now we're going to be number five, number four, number three to market this drug. We are going to fail. So an amendment can basically cost you the program. And so this is why it's so critical to design it um, as, as best as possible. And then you just go on to clinical operations, to the designing of the study, to initiation of the study. But you know that you're very efficient or as efficient as you can be compared to the competition. I take it one of the reasons we see problems with trial design like that is because investigators and sponsors are often facing a lack of information about their potential trial population. Uh, how does that affect the selection of patients and the design of a clinical trial and clinical trial site selection? 
Excellent, excellent question. So, oftentimes, um, first of all, the vast majorities of PIs or investigators um, will take one study and then will never do it again. And then you have a smaller group of PIs, uh, or again, investigators, that will repeatedly do clinical trials. They're comfortable with that. They see that as part of their job or, or the value they bring or the hope they bring to their patients. But what nobody has before Phonetics is when pharma or CRO um, had a protocol and now time to go and select the site and start recruiting them to participate in the study, they never knew, not on the pharma or the CRO level or on the site level, at the site level, they didn't even know how many patients the site have or may have for that protocol. And so the uh, industry would just go again and again, uh, usually to the same sites, and every now and then they will bring more sites on board. Um, but that site may have 250 patients for your study or zero. And so that piece of intelligence, if you will, um, did not exist in that ecosystem before Trinetics showed up. What we do, and so it was done the hard way, and Pharma CRO would just go to a, a big number of, a large number of sites, um, on average 50 sites for phase three, uh, but some studies are much larger than that, and they would just try to recruit all of them. And after negotiations and after a bunch of uh, legal and regulatory process, they will see that that site doesn't recruit a single patient um, or even worse, recruits just one patient for a larger study. So you got to keep it open and pay all those costs, but you're not really getting the benefit of the scale from that. So what we do is we flip that process on its head and we show a pharma or a CRO trial designer, um, an operations persona, if you will, look, in this portfolio of, let's say, 50 sites, uh, those sites have so many, each site, how many patients they have. And so you know to avoid the sites that don't have patients, and you know to focus on the sites that have patients. It sounds simple, and by the way, it sounds like the natural way to go about that design, but it didn't exist before we connected into those sites and, and got their permission. Now it works well for pharma because they can avoid failing sites. A failed site is anywhere from thirty to fifty thousand dollars. But again, that's not the cost. The cost is the delay. And you're starting to lose months and you may lose your program altogether. And we're focusing our pharma and CRO partners on going after the sites with the most patients for that study. It also works very well for the site because sites with no patients don't want to be hassled by a trial that will fail and will make them look bad and frustrate everybody, and uh, it just doesn't work. So sites that don't have patients want to be avoided um, for that particular study, and sites with a lot of patients would love uh, to be approached. We have to do that uh, traffic control, if you will, and it's proven. So sites that have joined us in the past uh, two years some of them got more than 50 trial opportunities that they would otherwise not get from pharma, which is significant. And it doesn't mean that they take all those opportunities and turn them into studies, but they can now be more selective. They now see a bigger deal flow, if you will, from pharma, and they know that because pharma picked up the phone and contacted them and offered them the study, 
They know they have patients, and they know that pharma knows that they have patients. So all that mystery of do you have, do we have the patients for you or not, is taken off the equation and more efficiency uh, and acceleration in all those processes. Well, Trinetics is capitalizing on the proliferation of electronic health records. It's much of this information, however, is siloed. What's the opportunity and what's the challenge with regard to that data? Healthcare data for everyone that spent their career on, in that field um, is very, very challenging. It's very difficult. Um, the vast majority of data in healthcare was generated because of billings and because providers need to get paid by payers and not for clinical research. So we come as, as representatives, if you will, of the clinical research industry, and we are trying to make meaning out of uh, data that was, uh, again, generated mostly for billing purposes. But So it's a tough starting point, but that's why what we're doing, I think, is so valuable. So we connect to the uh, healthcare organizations and the big, large hospitals that work with us. And there is a lot of data there, a lot of data. And what we do is we help them organize it and make sense out of it and put it in a place that uh, it can be accessed and it can be used for clinical research. Um, in a way, what we do, you can say, is democratizing um, that data and putting it in the right hands so, again, patients' life could be saved. So, And that data is being generated from many different uh, sources. Some is EMR. Um, and this is where we take a lot of the data. But there's other sources as well. I'll give you an example. Um, we take a lot of uh, oncology data that is not uh, predominantly EMR, but just being reported by the hospital. We take it, we wrap it around the same patients. So now you have demographic diagnosis, procedures, lab results, medication, and data that is used in, uh, in oncology around the same patient. Then we go to another source, and we take genomics data, and we take gene mutations and results of panels that have been done um, on those patient populations, and we put it again around the same patient. So in our um, most recent uh, um, data addition is data that generated uh, from unstructured sources, so NLP or natural language processing. So we go to the documents, and we extract the fact and that are required uh, for clinical researcher. And again, we add it to that ever-growing database around uh, uh, the same patients. We also have to be very careful from a PHI standpoint, HIPAA standpoint. So everything we do is being aggregated, de-identified. We will never share PHI, and we don't even... We can share PHI outside of uh, any site or hospital that works with. So, you know, we're very careful about privacy and compliance, and uh, and and we let the hospital deal with PHI. We only deal with the identified aggregated data. It's also making everything more secure. Um, in that, this is basically meaningless to find an identified patient uh, um, by looking at aggregated the identified data. Uh, the last thing I want to say is each one of our protocols, so pharma shares a protocol with the, with the hospital. They say, yes, I do. I would love to participate in that study. 
Now, pharma can share the protocol with that hospital and they can use our system to identify those patients that fit that protocol uh, at the greatest accuracy and just by pressing a button. So the data is aggregated and be identified, but there is the ability at the hospital to learn really quickly who are the patients that they need uh, uh, that may be relevant for that study. Uh, how well does the process work? Are there case studies to point to as though you're able to identify and enroll patients faster than clinical trials normally are able to do, that you're able to avoid the need for amendments? What What's the data on the actual results of using this? Absolutely. Great question. Uh, we've been in business for three years. We uh, went live and activated the network in January um, 2016, so a year and nine months ago. And we have a lot of case studies uh, from our pharma customers about avoiding amendments. And we run a lot of studies. I'll give you an example. We um, implemented a study that has failed uh, and was amended for, uh, I think, nine times. We've implemented all those iterations in our system, and we have proven that the first one, two, and three iterations of that study have zero patients. Um, that human doesn't exist on planet Earth. And so it was impossible to recruit, not just hard. And as the study progressed, um, it became uh, a more doable, if you will. All our uh, pharma customers report back to us about avoiding amendments. We have very, very large uh, Fortune 500 pharma that design 100% of their protocols on our platform. It's just like on a rainy day, you won't leave your house without an umbrella. These guys don't design a study without running it first at the Trinetics platform to get the insights, to make sure they're simplifying it, to make sure it's, it's the most efficient upstream so they save all those amendments downstream. Um, we also have proven that when we are part of the site selection process, um, failed sites are being avoided, uh, sites with no patients, and the the efforts of that study is focused on the sites that have the most patients. And um, so there's a lot of proof points. There's over uh, very rapid in increasing adoption of the system inorganically with new customers and organically with existing customers. Now, what's the competitive landscape for what you're doing? Is is Trinetics unique in, in its approach? Trinetics is unique, and it has competitors. <laughs> so uh, there is no one that is trying to do what we do the way we do it. I haven't seen any network being deployed on a global scale with the technology we have um, at the back end with the user interface. No one is trying to do that. There is always competition uh, for the share of wallet. Every dollar of revenues that I generate, other companies have competed for that uh, with other type of solutions. Um, you know, the world of data and analytics um, to support the R&D side of pharma, uh, we did not invent that, and there were other solutions before we came. Uh, but what we see and what we're benefiting from is... Uh, it's hard to do what we do. You need a lot of capital. It is very expensive, and uh, it takes a long time to deploy a network like that, both to get them to sign contracts with you, go through the legal process, go to the motions, and then uh, deploy the technology. So uh, 
as we move very fast, we're creating a very high barrier, I hope, to compete with us. Um, so again, there's competition for the dollars, but there's no um, unique organization that is like us. Um, and I also say on the global side, we've been very fortunate. The world is ready uh, for our business concept. We have expanded well beyond the U.S. We have signed contracts and deployed our product in many countries in Europe, including just some of them, Germany and the U.K. and Italy and many more. Um, we signed contracts uh, with hospitals in Israel, um, Singapore, and others are coming online in Asia. Um, so the world is ready uh, to be part of one big network um, that just gives a lot of value back to the researchers. And at this point, how many institutions and, and patients are in your database? We have uh, signed uh, contracts representing 84 million unique patients from all over the world, and that number is growing monthly. And we have implemented um, 36 unique million unique patients um, on our live platform. So the 84 number is growing, and the 36 number is growing. Um, and there is a con continuous race, if you will, on our side to go deeper and deeper on the data. So for every institution that's joining us, we're not just happy with the uh, data dimensions that I've mentioned before, uh, the demographics, the labs, uh, the medications, uh, procedures and diagnosis, but we're going after the NLP, genomics, um, oncology-specific data. So it's, um, it's an ever-growing, everlasting race, if you will, to expand globally and also to go deep on the data types we take. And what's it going to take for you to be successful? What's the, the biggest challenge you face? I wish there was more time in the day uh, to do all the things we need to do. It's just uh, so many opportunities out there. The hardest thing is to understand what to focus on, what drives the most value for clinical researchers and patients, and just do that and let the other uh, opportunities wait until until you can accomplish um, you know your main goals. There's very opportunities to, to join us, to to partner with other companies, to have others join the network and deliver value. Again, the most important thing is just to focus this organization uh, on the key deliverables. Gotti Lockman, CEO of Trinetics. Gotti, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.